everyone, Christopher here. Before we start the show, I wanted to share a couple messages that we got from our listeners celebrating our 10-year anniversary. I'm going to go ahead and read one, and then there's two uh, audio messages that I'll play, and after that, we'll jump right into the show. All right, this email came from our good friend Chris. She says, Happy 10th anniversary to my OG five-star podcast. Thank you, Lydia and Christopher, for bringing us the film joy for 10 whole years. May the next years bring you more laughs, movie loves, and public domain delights, Chris. Thank you very much, Chris. You have been with us since the very beginning. We really, really appreciate it. And you're making me feel really guilty that we haven't gotten around to your five-minute mystery. Maybe that will be a goal in this coming year. All right, on to the audio messages and then on to the show. Hey, Lydia and Christopher. I may have been in the room that long ago day at Starfest when you guys came up with the idea for Orphan Entertainment. I thought it was a great idea then, and I think it's a great idea now. I hope you two have a continued wonderful success with it. The Good Beer Bad Movie Night podcast would like to congratulate Lydia and Christopher for their 10 years of Orphaned Entertainment. Yay! So here's to you. Oh, and all you <laughs> and all your many years of hard work. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Keep it coming. We love you. Orphan Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me is a woman who has put up with 10 years of my movie-related puns in her intro and hasn't yet run off to the lost universe. It's Lydia. <laughs> I need little foot sounds running off. Yay! I'm so happy that you've kept me around for so long. <laughs> I couldn't do this without you. And with us both is a man who once stepped up to the mic when the movie begged, please murder me but then disappeared like a figurine in an Agatha Christie mystery. It's Barry. Barry. Hey, happy to be back. I'm like that dude who left the Beatles and came back and like, hey, guys, Abbey Road, who knew? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, Barry, thank you very much for joining us here on our 10-year anniversary. This is so That's exciting. Amazing. Well, congratulations. That's fantastic. You've all you've all done so well without me. So I'm happy to <laughs> look back on the few episodes I was on and to look back at, your, at the body of work. Looking at the just the long list uh, that you've shared with me is pretty amazing. You've covered some great work, and this this show continues to do great stuff. So congratulations to both of you. Thank yeah, you. Thank, thank you very you. much. You yeah, were that's... heavily a part of it and influenced us heavily in the beginning. Oh, at yes, the very yes, beginning. The <laughs> very <laughs> beginning. <laughs> Yeah, you were you were like one of the OGs. <laughs> I'll take it. That's I, the I, only time I've ever been an OG anything, so thank you. <laughs> I think that's the term, right? Did I get that right? Uh, it's original gangsta, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, I'll take it. I've never been called that in any other context, so thank you. <laughs> well, I tell you what, let's go ahead and do the usual kind of stuff uh, in case anyone is listening for the first time. Uh, first, thanks, everyone, for tuning in, and a special thank you if you have been with us for these last pe uh, 10 years. Uh, we can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Orphaned Entertainment is available wherever you listen to podcasts, and please, if you have the option to do so, rate and review the show. It really does help get the show out to more people. 
And another great way to help is just by sharing the episode you're listening to on whatever social media platform you use. If you happen to be a Facebook user, there is a group that you can join, and this is a great place to find out what we're going to be covering next, and an easy place to leave any comments on the films or episodes. Speaking of the films, we have a YouTube channel where you can watch many of the films we've covered here on the show. Just go to YouTube and search for Orphaned Entertainment. If you would like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. You can follow the link in the show notes to all our social media sites, as well as learn how you can support the show financially. And you can also find all these links on our webpage at orphanedentertainment.com. With that, I think... um, I'm going to skip the five-minute mystery, and I'm just going to go, we're not talking about a specific movie this time. We're going to talk more or less about all the movies that we've covered. Well, probably not all the movies, but (laughs) we're going to talk about the last 10 years of Orphan Entertainment. And I I had to bring Barry back in for this because he was there in that first year. And um, I, I remember, I think we'd only done maybe, let's see, one, two, three, four, we'd done five maybe six recorded episodes and something happened. Lydia couldn't make it. And I, I wanted to get an episode out and Barry, you stepped in and we watched, please murder me with Raymond Burr and Angela Lansbury. It's, it's always so wonderful to discover these movies that have, have basically just been forgotten or neglected. Um, my wife and I have a podcast. So called, so I married a film critic. We recently covered a film called uh, sudden fear with Jack Palance with these, this wonderful forgotten film noir, just like, uh, just like the Angela uh, Lansbury film that we covered, and it's amazing that you have actors of that caliber whose work is you know a little seen or underappreciated, and, and somehow it, it just kind of loses uh, sight. We lose sight of these works. Um, the films need to be preserved; they need to be restored. And so many of these movies are just out there floating. So I, I love that that we were able to cover that. I hope even if one person who had never even heard of that film before discovered it and, and found it. That's that's a mission accomplished on on your part. Like me. <laughs> <laughs> like Lydia, she didn't know about it. Sorry, guys. She she's only just now hearing about it 10 years later. <laughs> <laughs> now amazingly, the next film we did and you stuck with us through it and and beyond was Beware the Blob. Oh, I love Beware the Blob. <laughs> yeah. I love that film. It, it's it's just it's amazing that that movie exists. It's a it, I mean for one thing that they thought like you know the blob is one of those creatures like Frankenstein or Dracula that could that can exist in a franchise, but you know that it's Larry Hagman and that the film is is so bizarre. Mm-hmm. No, that's just it. It's yeah, that's one of those films that it shouldn't exist, but yeah. somehow it yeah. did. <laughs> I went back and listened to this episode and I laughed so hard. <laughs> Just our conversation about it and the things we picked up on, I just was cracking up the whole time. Oh, I have to go back and check that one out. I haven't gone back and listened to a whole lot of the really old episodes, but maybe I'll have to go and dive into that one. I did, but we sound insane because it's like yeah. we're describing a dream, and you know, it's one of those really weird dreams. And it's like, really that's that's what happened. You saw that too, yeah? It's it's bizarre. <laughs> it, it, it was it was hilarious. I was actually kind of make a point not to go back and listen to myself too often because as I texted you guys you know about a week ago I said I am I am like the most annoying person I've ever heard and it's probably just that self-critical thing but but the conversations we had about this and a couple of other movies I'm sure we'll talk about had me laughing I wouldn't 
I wouldn't think that it would, you know, make a lot of sense to tell people, hey, go back to something I did nine years ago and listen to it because it's so good. It's not necessarily that the quality is so good. It's just that we had such a good time talking about it. I actually would recommend re-listening to that episode or if you didn't, if you came in late going back and listening to it and watching the movie because it's, it's just, it's goofy. It's all over the place. Yeah, I highly agree. I don't think not only is it a fun conversation to listen to because I've listened to that episode too subsequently, but I don't think there's three people in the world who've enjoyed Beware the Blob more than we did. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly not at the same time in the same place. (laughs) Yeah, no way. (laughs) Now, I know a film that we all three enjoyed a lot for very different reasons was when we covered Road to Bali. Yeah. (laughs) Bob Hope, uh, Bing Crosby, Dorothy L'Amour. Uh, and that was also about when I started playing around with Photoshop and I uh, put our faces in the movie poster. That was yeah. a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I always thought Barry reminded me most of Dorothy. So <laughs> That's fair. I'll take I it. Definitely go with Christopher as Bing and myself as Bob, I think. <laughs> I think that's fair. No, I like it. No argument here. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good looking one. <laughs> Sorry, well, I you. mean of the three of us, not saying Christopher is not good looking. <laughs> no, I that's, say no, Barry I is the beautiful one. <laughs> I don't go. need to be the funny one. I'll take it. I'll take Dorothy Lamar. No, thank you. Uh, uh, you know, uh, compliment accepted. Oh, no. I'll, I'll tell you what, like that franchise is so vital. We don't, that's another one. Like, why don't we talk about the road movies? I mean, with, you know, what the Fast and Furious movies are now, the road movies used to be that they were, they were blockbusters. They were beloved. People flocked to those movies. They didn't care what the plots were. They wanted to see those, those three in movies. So I love that we covered one that's for whatever reason, it isn't really, it's not that it's not a part of the canon. It just, it's kind of, again, floating out there ridiculously. Uh, you, you know, I think the one that impressed me the most because I love the film so much. And this was after, after my, uh, my, my brief stay at orphan entertainment had, had, had ceased uh, operations. You covered Roger Corman's The Intruder. Um, oh yes. That's a big one for me because for one thing, most people are not aware that it exists and it's mm-hmm. one of the most important Roger Corman films. And it's certainly the one that he's most passionate about. And whenever I get into that argument that William Shatner cannot act, that is the one I always point people to. I'm like, no, 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 you need to see this. And this is a film, even though it was, I think 1962, it's still uh, unfortunately very relevant and very painful. It's like the music man, a satanic music man. And he's like, <laughs> he's like this Harold, he's this white supremacist, Harold Hill, who goes from town to town and poisons oh, the well, so to speak. Um, it's remarkable. Uh, unfortunately, it's, it's still, uh, it holds up. It's a powerful film and people need to be aware of it. And Shatner is remarkable in it. Yeah, really good. That was one we actually kind of debated whether to do that one. That one had been on my list anyway. and But I was like, ah, it's such a heavy topic. Yes. And it's so problematic because of a lot of the language and because right. of just the situation that's involved. You're talking about uh, segregation. You're talking about you know all the, the, this, the Southern... Um, desegregation which is what the the focus of the thing is and so i was really hesitant to take that one on and it was finally because we were uh certainly several years into the show and i think i just decided to you know rip the band-aid off and (laughs) we would just do it and i'm so glad that we did because i actually had not watched the film prior to doing it for the show i knew about it i knew that that was corman's one 
message film. You know, the one time he wanted to try to do something relevant and try to do something that actually was not just the $50 monster uh, movie. Uh, But I was so glad we, we finally did that film. I know a couple of times through our recordings, we've had conversations about that. And I think the, the gist has always gone with, it's a difficult topic, but it's important that the history still be acknowledged and still be experienced. And at the point that we stop experiencing, you know, this kind of film and this kind of conversation is the point where we forget our history and we forget there, we forget all of the challenges that come along with, you know, the social inequality and this, you know, mindset that, you know, he's, that is so poignantly portrayed here. And so even though it's really hard to talk about, especially with, you know, Christopher and and me not having any experience with that type of thing, I I think for me, at least I can say that, um, I think it was worth, it's worth tackling some of those harder films, even if only to say, Hey, we acknowledge that this thing that is being shown is not is not right to treat people this way <laughs> or hey we're acknowledging that hey at this time you know this this is what the portrayal is but not everybody was that way you know not everybody in 1960s america was was a bigotous was racist was you know every kind of ist you can think about it's important to have those movies still be kept around and still be reviewed and watched to have those open conversations. No, absolutely. I'm sorry. I I really appreciate that you two covered it. Um, There's so many message movies of that era that just don't hold up because who wouldn't want Sidney Poitier to come over for dinner? It's the dumbest. (laughs) What parent wouldn't want you to bring over Sidney Poitier for dinner? Of course that's going to go well. Of course they're idiots for not, you know, but uh, yeah, the intruder, I mean, it still hurts. It's still painful. It's and and it's still, you, you still go like, okay, there's guys out there like that, except now they've got, you know, now they've, they've got their, their social media followers. Um, yeah. Well, and it's an era film, right? Like we just recently reviewed the last woman on earth. And there are scenes in that, that we talked about where I was very uncomfortable with the tenor of the relationship in the marriage because yeah. today, which is, 70 years later, it's very widely accepted that men don't just have sex with their wives if their wives say no, <laughs> but, but being part of this era and being similarly part of that era when Sidney Poitier wasn't necessarily or would not have been accepted in at a white dinner table, having again, having those movies still around, if we, we just can't lose sight of where we've come from. I think that's the only way you keep from going back. No, absolutely. And that, that comes up in films, even old, not from this time when it comes to race, but even older when it comes to, to, uh, to gender. We've watched so many films where we, we think this film starts out and we're so happy because it's like this strong female lead. You know, she's the, the tough reporter that's not going to say no and she's going to solve the crime. And at the end of the film, she quits her job so she can be a wife. Yeah. And you're just like, ah, oh, you were almost there. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was a different, these are different eras. And that's, I think for me, it's especially enjoyable because you don't see a lot of that. You don't understand a lot of that nuance from reading a history book. You don't understand. I mean, you know, you can read in, a, there's a great book on burnout and they talk about 
how, uh, if I, if I'm remembering, which is the right book, they talk about how in the 1950s women are, uh, sorry, it might actually be a, a book on depression, but they talk about in the 1950s, women can't, the women were treated as if they were nuts, if they weren't happy with the white picket fence and the, the three kids and the dog. Mm-hmm. And they were literally drugged, literally given drugs, because obviously you have everything a woman could possibly want, because there hadn't been the exploration beyond that for women, for the most part. So um, we, we, we can't understand without it's part of the value of watching these old films is being able to see the way that that mentality was just widely accepted. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is funny. I think, I think I expected us to get on together and have just like basically an hour long party <laughs> <laughs> and not to launch so deeply into philosophy all of a sudden, but it is that that's the value. I think that's for me, a big part of the value of what we do with this podcast is that we get to experience moments in history Mm-hmm. It, not necessarily because it's the reality of what was happening, but because it's what people at the time believed about their time period. Yeah, and it's such a psychological insight, and in a lot of ways, it's it's like time travel. It's so much fun to get to go back and and see how things were being directed, and how things were accepted, and how things were talked about in the mainstream. Because it's totally different than today. And you can read it in a history book, but you don't understand the impact of it until you see people living it out on the screen. No, and absolutely. for that reason, it's it, it, not to toot our own horns. And I don't think we set out with that intention, but that is a lot of the value I get out of it. No, absolutely. It, it gives you, sometimes seeing it visually makes it kind of hit home more than if you're just reading about it. You can read about, oh, and, you know, they didn't have the right to vote or the the woman was the homemaker. You read that, you're like, oh, okay, whatever. But you don't realize that they were giving up careers. I mean, the idea of a woman giving up her career so because she got because she's going to be married, it's just it's so alien to so many people these days. And well, take it a step it as, beyond that. Yeah. In a, so many cultures, that's still true. In Asia, oh, that's still vastly true. And we in our in our society don't even realize that. I'm sorry. I appreciate you both saying this so much. Um, I just encountered this in my class. I'm teaching a class media analysis, horror films. We're going through horror movies. And I, I start mm-hmm. from Caligari, you know, Cabinet Cal- Dr. Caligari, and I move all the way up to present day. And we just covered Psycho. And it was a really good lesson for me. Um, it's not the first time it's come up, but it's always good a good reminder to me because Psycho is one of my favorite movies. It's so iconic. I've seen it so many times. And, you know, and I have I have members of the LGBTQ community as as my students in my class. And, you know, I because there's so much about Psycho that is taboo bursting and, you know, it's, it's Hitchcock, you know, really challenging the ratings board and such. I've never, you know, I've, I've never really question so much of that film and of course to look at it now and I go oh yeah it is it is a movie where you know the monster so to speak is a guy who puts on a dress and kills people and <laughs> you know, I've never thought of that film being problematic in the way that for example dress to kill and basic instinct are but the thing is basic instinct and dress to kill exist because of psycho so of course of course there's things about psycho that even I should go you know looking at through the lens of 2022 there are things about the film that of course are insensitive of course there's things about that <laughs> film that not only do they not hold up but you know they'd be downright offensive today even though back in 1960 Hitchcock was like you know really coming up with something new. So it cutting it's, edge. Yeah. It's not just a chance of, as you both indicated, it's not just a chance to, to, to look at history 
into time travel. And that's absolutely what cinema is. Of course it is. Cinema has always been a form of time travel. We're looking at, at people in some cases that don't even exist, places that don't even exist anymore. It's absolutely mm-hmm. time travel. But it's also a chance to give a sense of perspective and not necessarily to erase the past, but understand how we are not going to make those kinds of mistakes today. And also understand how we could be not only sensitive to that today, but also just improve our conversations and our awareness and our, you know, our empathy today. So, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, I, I appreciate that film can do that for us as opposed to erase the past, not to get too much on a tangent, but have you noticed all this stuff that's getting uh, uh, censored on Disney plus? It's horrifying. This is a, this is a conversation my husband and I have fairly regularly, not specifically because of Disney plus, but because he still owns a copy of song of the South. Mm. And if you guys are well aware that movie yep. has been hard line taboo for many, many years now. Yep. And we have conversations regularly about how it from a from a modern perspective, it's incredibly insensitive. But from mm. the time period of when it was made, it wasn't even questioned. Now, whether that's right or wrong, it is still a capture of a moment in history. It's still a capture of a mentality at certain time in history. And there are colloquialisms and um, accents and uh, local dialogue that are used that now are treated as incredibly offensive, but at the time were legitimate dialects, legitimate like localized dialects and and speech patterns, but we have a negative, I think for us, it's a negative tendency to overly look at history and go, well, this is just offensive without stopping and saying, okay, realistically, this is, these are the reasons that these people behave this, this way in this time. And they're not, they're not, destructive in the sense that we think of now, of course, they came out of, you know, negative things that have happened at that time. But again, I've kind of lost my, I lost my thread a little bit there, but, (laughs) but there's a, an element of, of history and reality that is being censored at this time today in our modern time. That is, um, you know, we've all heard, we've all heard the phrase, those who those who fail to study history are doomed to repeat it. And while I appreciate not wanting to, um, to, to make heroes of people that truly damaged other people's lives, you can't just erase them. If you just erase them, instead of putting, instead of keeping them and putting them in context, you run the risk of repetition. So, gosh, again, we got really deep and philosophical on this. Well, we kind of can't help it. If you if you go back through a lot of our films, really, the, the racism aspect is probably something that raises its head the most because you're dealing with films from the 30s and 40s. And this is a, all films that are at a time when I mean, there was a large section of the United States that were citizens of the United States that didn't have the same rights as a lot of the other people of the United States. And so, so that comes up a lot and you're right. I, I think you can't just ignore those films because, well, that's offensive. Well, no, it is offensive, but you need to see it. So you understand. And so it's not forgotten. Um, we just uh, dealt with it. We were watching a, a Dixiana was a film we covered mm-hmm. not all that long ago. And we mm-hmm. were really worried 
going into that film. And we found it not as bad as we were expecting, but still mm-hmm. pretty bad with the whole happy slave mentality. Well, and and I think my argument was nobody nobody is happy to be a slave, period. But it's mm-hmm. also inaccurate to portray every person that owned a slave as a, an abusive rapist because that also is not accurate. Right. There's a, there's a spectrum to every every section. I don't want to say class of humanity. That's certainly not what I mean. Every segment of humanity, every time in human history, there's a spectrum. You still have people that were were fighting for equal rights at that time and people that were not fighting for equal rights at that time or or fighting against slavery or fighting, you know, for, you know, figuratively for slavery and to to retro retrospectively teach that everybody that ever owned a slave is a horrible monster is like, is it's the people call it reverse racism. It's not reverse racism. It's just a different racism toward a different group of people. (laughs) And it's not, it's not accurate, but it's so hard to have that conversation because yes, is it, is it horrible for a person to be a slave? Absolutely. But is every person that ever, owned a horse, a horse abuser. Oh my God. That sounds like I was comparing slaves to horses. Please don't mistake me. I'm I'm trying to use an analogy, but there's not a good analogy for it because slavery is horrible. My Barry just is cringing. (laughs) I just can see both. (laughs) We also, it's worth mentioning, like early on when we were recording these, we didn't have video with each other. And so the conversations we have, sometimes they overlap and sometimes they're a little bit you know, awkward, but today we have this beautiful moment where we can actually see each other's faces and have these conversations and see how each other is reacting. So, uh, I may have been a little bit less annoying in the history in the past, <laughs> in our previous episodes, if I could have seen your faces, my point though, being, um, I think again, you, you have to have the uncomfortable, the uncomfortable moments in movies and in conversations so that you can question things. If everything is not, if everything is comfortable all the time, you never stop and question it. Mm-hmm. And you need to have those uncomfortable moments, even if it's, you know, a person saying, and this is a direct quote, your slaves are the happiest slaves I've ever seen. Um, or <laughs> if it's a man saying, you're my wife, I can do what I want. Or, you know, it, 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 there are so many different situations in these. Oh, that's, and it's part of what makes it a beautiful collection is that it, allows you to question the perspectives of humanity. I've, I've gone and soapboxed again. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Well, I'm happy that not all our films end up with such deep, you know, uh, discussions on, uh, on, on race and gender. I, we, we do have a lot of fun as well. Barry, it's interesting. You said you were, you were taught teaching, uh, the horror or focusing on horror in your class. We watched a film back in 2019. We watched the brain that wouldn't die. Oh, yeah. Familiar with Jan that one with Jan in the Pan. And we um we really thought that that was a film that it was like a uh, they someone tried to make a horror film and an exploitation exploitation film kept showing up and ruining it. That really could have been the film that changed everything rather than uh, Night of the Living Dead. It had mm-hmm. those elements to it. Mm-hmm. it. It was extremely um bloody. For one thing, I mean, you actually had a woman's head in a pan of blood, and then we mm-hmm. see a guy's arm get ripped off, and you know, blood going down the wall. It was pretty graphic for the time. 
it's um it, but it, again some weird sexploitation film kept showing up and and ruining the scare factor on that movie <laughs> or improving the film depending on how you look at it <laughs> you, you know what i love Diluting. about that film is that it's one of the few movies of that era where it actually lives up to the poster art because too many of these movies <laughs> not. i mean one of my favorite examples is the wasp woman if you look at the poster art for the wasp woman it looks very eerie and, and quite disturbing and you watch the movie and it's no big deal at all but yeah the the yeah, the the uh, the image of the t- decapitated head that is somehow alive and having a conversation just sits in this little dish. Um, the movie lives up to that, and it's it, you know it's it's a simple, even even kind of hacky old school magician's trick. But it's mm-hmm. I don't know. I've I've always found that movie very uncomfortable. Um, you know, and, and I think that maybe that's one of the reasons that it still works because as an exploitation film, it is a freak show. It is unafraid. Um, and I think that's one of the greatest things any movie could be. It's just, just fearless. That movie really wants to be the freak show that it's that it that the title promises, <laughs> the poster promises, and it absolutely delivers. It what stuck with me on that one is just the opening. And I think it's it's over a black screen. You just hear her saying, Why? Mm-hmm. Why? And I remember getting chills, literally chills, just from that little opening bit. It's good stuff. It's it's probably the Citizen Kane of decapitated head movies. That <laughs> Rosebud. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, what's I mean, I guess I guess Reanimator would be up there, but no, I'd, I'd say that's the first one because it's it's the best one, and it's you know, it and it just I, I, to go with the obvious point. I mean, the fact that it's it's not a decapitated man, which we've seen that before. It's a decapitated woman. Um, mm-hmm. There's something there's something about that that feels you know it feels wrong. There's a violation about that, um, and the and the way the character develops, uh, if you will, as a head. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's unsettling. I don't know. I kind of admire that movie. I shouldn't, but I do kind of admire it because it's <laughs> it lives up to its uh, its skeeziness. It does. I don't. I, oh, I don't know why you say you, I don't know why you say you shouldn't admire it. There are certainly some worse movies that were made after it. Yeah. I went back and listened to um oh gosh, what is it? Uh I gotta I gotta find the title of it or to our, our episode on the alien one, that one UFO, UFO targeter. Oh that's the one. That's, that's the, the one they one. finally that's a that's the one where Barry finally said, I'm done with orphan entertainment. <laughs> I laughed so hard listening to it, though. I had forgotten that we had done that. I had completely forgotten. And it was one of these things where I listened to the episode. I'm like, wow, I I forgot that I even saw this thing. (laughs) Um, But I... I keep uh, I keep basically a, a backlog of all my reviews, and I actually I actually wrote a review on it, like a review of everything. I, I you know, so I went back and read what I wrote, and I, oh wow, this was this was this was very painful. I forgot about this experience, but what a wonderful little freak show anomaly of a movie that was just floating out there. There's there's a lot of those. I, I love those '60s and se- especially the '70s and early '80s era of UFO alien invasion films there's like a few found footage ones and they're they purport to be documentaries but really they're all about the about the the money footage so to speak um yeah that movie's terrible i am um, i don't i'm not glad that i saw it but uh you know on the one hand i've never forgotten it but then having forgotten it i realized oh that's right we watched that together collectively and discussed it another we're probably the only ones that have ever done that <laughs> 
Yeah, I love some of the 70s experimental sci-fis and stuff. A little bit more mainstream, but still kind of weird is actually the film uh, Embryo from 1976. It's actually, which neither one of you joined me on. I had to get like a... a <laughs> I had to get, to get a pitch hitter in on that episode. Is that a film that either one of you have actually seen with Rock Hudson? I just pulled up the information on it. Diane Ladd, Roddy McDowell. Where's this movie been all my life? I want to see this. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's worth checking out if nothing else. Oh, I know one that we uh, Lydia and I watched together way back. End of the World, nineteen seventy seven, with Christopher Lee. You remember that one at all, Lydia? <laughs> I have to look it up. We so we've done over well over a hundred episodes. I think yes. we're into we're not quite to two hundred yet. Oh, we are into two hundred. Uh, Are we? Oh, no, we're into no. 120. Well, this right. this will be our 120th episode, but we have done many radio shows where we just filled a, filled a month without a movie review. So we we're probably, though, we are probably close to 100 movies. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's a little hard to keep them all straight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. But that, and, and that was one that we watched in our first year. So we are talking about 10 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> those are yeah, those are definitely the harder ones for me to remember. Yeah, one of the ones I remember uh, really enjoying the, when we first came across it, and it was one that I'd never seen before, but I thought it was really cool because it had Peter Falk is the Bloody Brood. Mm-hmm. That was the, uh, the the kind of the beatnik murder mystery. Mm-hmm. And what was really cool about that one was one of the, that was one of the rare moments when I got to actually interview someone that was in the film and not yes. many of our films, you know, not many of our films allow that, but mm-hmm. uh, Jack Betts, who was the star of that film was still with us. And he actually was a uh, willing to get online with me and have a discussion. So we actually had an interview special on Orphan entertainment. I, that was really cool. Nice. Yeah. And we talked a lot about his, you know, his, his time on the Bloody Brood. He, we, he did a lot of westerns and stuff. It was, it was very cool. Uh, Lydia, do you remember Backroom Boy? It was a British film. I got to find out the which year was it? From 1942 with Arthur Askey. Remember the uh, the one he was a worked for the BBC and he did like the little uh, station break identifications or something like that. And he decided yeah. he had a had it up with women, and so he got a yeah. posting in some lighthouse, some remote lighthouse off the coast. Yep, I remember that. I feel like yep, <laughs> and, and I remember specifically being surprised that I hadn't run into that actor before because I had felt like he was probably very well known. Yes, exactly. Uh, but there, what stole the film for us in that was that young girl that was in the lighthouse and would kept just kept showing up you know he's he's trying to be by himself and the lighthouse comes with like this young woman that comes and <laughs> you know cooks the food and makes a jeep going in and out of the doors and she we thought she was so much fun uh vera francis was her name mm-hmm. and again That's right she was still with us and i actually reached out to her she was uh she owned a uh, a dance school in london oh, i had forgotten that and I didn't do an interview, but I was able to send an email, a bunch of questions to her. And she answered back with the email mm-hmm. and answered all her questions. I was like, yeah, that is so yeah. cool. And it's such a rarity of the films that we cover to actually have someone mm-hmm. still with us. 
Barry and I are just nodding emphatically. <laughs> no, so amazing. I, I didn't, I haven't listened to those episodes. I didn't know those anecdotes. That's fantastic. I mean, this is, this is, you know, it's cinematic archaeology when you do that, when you find people who are part of these films that do not have an advocate, they don't have an audience. And it's like the films don't even exist. And it's not because the quality isn't there. It's just because there's so many films and there's so many movies that have fallen on the wayside. And, and, you know, what, one of the things that always breaks my heart, when I teach film, as I tell my students, there are literally hundreds of movies that no longer exist, literally mm-hmm. hundreds of films uh, that has a lot to do with nitrate film stock, that has a lot to do with the studio fires, that has a lot to do with the fact that nitrate film stock crumbles over time. And because a lot of these films, they just, you know, they either people forgot about them in the video cassette era and they just never, you know, became videos and then DVDs. So it's it's tragic that I mean, you know, I understand why, you know, for example, a movie like Beware the Blob doesn't currently have a 4K upgrade. I get that. <laughs> you know, I'm sure there's people who would love to have that in their collection, especially completists. But yeah, some of these other films you're mentioning, like the, that you've able to, that you're able to go after, um, go after the artists who are involved with it. I'll say this really quickly, but this is one of the more meaningful things that's ever happened to me. I went to a Twilight Zone convention in Hackensack, New Jersey in 2007, and they showed an episode of the twilight zone i believe the episode was called the fugitive it's about an alien and he has a relationship with this little girl this little girl who loves this alien it's like et except he's an old man mm-hmm. and the little girl uh was really especially engaging and um i it, they showed the episode at this convention i was at and then later on i'm walking through the alleyway and i run into the little girl who is now a grandmother and oh. it was the most surreal thing i said i just saw that episode you did for the first time and it was just so amazing to have that little encounter but that's you know but that's what film is as you said it's not only time travel i mean it's it's a it's a living moving snapshot it's incredible that that you know people who are involved in these that we could you know reconnect with them and yeah, share those anecdotes you know over something that's forgotten unfortunately yeah yeah yeah, forgotten is a big one. There, it, it's funny. There's so many movies that we've run across. It, it, bizarrely, we've had several movies that Christopher, I know you and I have brought up different films where we have said it's almost too bad these aren't in the public domain because it would be so much fun to cover them. Um, it is. It's a bit of a relief to see that that you know a lot of that preservation. Maybe they're not you know converting it to 4K like you said. Barry, but they are, uh, there are still films that are becoming available right now. I was delighted. I decided to go through and clean out my uh, DVD collection. I still have a bunch of DVDs um, trying to move that over to digital, but I found one of my all-time favorite movies. Christopher, I know I've talked to you about it. Uh, that Lady and Ermin is now available on Prime. Not out of it's not out of copyright, obviously. Uh, it in there, and I don't think it ever has been, but I couldn't believe and the quality is really good. It's just, uh, I have you know, as a child, we had dozens of movies that we recorded on VHS off of CMT or off of AMC when they were still actually playing classic movies, <laughs> you know, when classic movie TV was actually classic movies. Um, and and so many of those, I ask people, oh, have you seen this? Have you seen that? You know, just through my lifetime and people haven't heard of so many of them. And to now be able to start seeing all of the Thin Man series, which um, 
you know, if you're not a black and white enthusiast, you maybe aren't familiar with, but they're so funny. Uh, and then, you know, of course, Hitchcock's collections, even the ones we've covered that aren't that well known, like the 39 Steps, our second movie, um, to be able to still get a hold of those, even if they're not really an exceptional quality, the storylines of them are so good or, you know, there's such a such a capture of that moment. It's so much fun to get to see them, even when they're not really exceptionally preserved. For them to be available at all is kind of a miracle because, as you said, Barry, so much was lost. This show couldn't exist in any other time than than now uh, because of all these films that the public domain films that someone like Lydia, you're saying you, you, you recorded something on television. That may be the only way a lot of these films exist is someone so. had the foresight to record it back in the late seventies or early eighties. Mm -hmm. And they still had that VHS tape and they mm -hmm. went to the trouble of digitizing it and throwing it up on something like archive or YouTube mm -hmm. or something. And that's the only mm -hmm. reason that that film, many of the films we watch, it's the only reason that film still exists. Yeah. That's very um, true. Some, some uh, UHF station had a copy of it because they were just showing something to fill the time, you know, before mm -hmm. the, uh, the the uh, the network took over at seven or something like that and they had it in their vault and it's just been sitting around and they someone took it and digitized it and that's why it exists so we are so lucky to live in the time that we do because mm -hmm. um or because these films like barry was saying would just be rotting away somewhere like many yeah. of the hundreds and thousands of films are unfortunately and have um copyright law is so damn goofy and it's <laughs> it's been played with and toyed with and used as a tool for companies to protect themselves with yeah um erroneously i think i think there comes a limit where it's like the old, the joke is that it's it's the mouse rules you know when it comes to congress whenever steamboat willie the the first mickey mouse to cartoon starts nearing that uh date that the copyright expires suddenly copyright extends you know another 20 yes. years, or 30 years. <laughs> speaking of disney plus maybe shifting things a little bit uh in a direction that maybe isn't what in everybody's best interest but only in the best interest of a very small minority yeah yeah and it what makes that unfortunate is because there isn't really a market for selling some of this stuff. I mean, no one really is going to want to spend a lot of money in buying a hundred year old movie that they never heard of. Right, right. But because, oh, someone owns the copyright, no mm. one can do anything with it at all. And I think it's, it, it's a crime. You yeah. need to let these things loose. There's yeah. so many films that exist today because the copyright expired. Nigh the Living Dead, I mentioned, famously because of a copyright error. Mm -hmm. uh, was public domain almost immediately. Yeah. We know that film today because it was public domain. Yeah. It, it would be just a, a blip uh, in, in the horror history had it been actually copyrighted correctly. I don't know if it would have been like the movie that changed things the way mm -hmm. it, it did for horror. If it, if that mistake hadn't happened. That's an interesting thought that really is an interesting thought people maybe people need to make more mistakes <laughs> but, but no that is an interesting thought we it, it's funny the 
there, oh gosh, the, the one that always that blew my mind recently was Angel and the Batman being in uh, public domain. I have heard about that movie. I can't tell you how many times I bear in mind, my family, obviously were watching AMC and, and TCM when I was a young child, you know, when I was, when I was 12, I was watching lots of black and white films, which is unusual for somebody, you know, growing up in the eighties and nineties. But um, again, I don't know that, I don't know that that was specifically an error, but the, the heavy handed control of these, of of movies of film in general it uh i like it, we all i don't think anybody wants the people that have worked hard to create something to miss out on their livelihood because of that but the the long the extremely long copyrights that are being pushed for for this and you know it, and it's leaking out i think into other media as well into music and things like that it it's uh, it, I think it has an effect of dampering people's interest in 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 non mainstream production because it feels like the only way that you can get your name out is by being part of this you know group of heavy handed control kind of specific corporations or groups and and it feels like if it feels like the only way to do something big aside from being part of those groups is by accident. Like with Night of the Living Dead, you just accidentally do it. And it, and it, it, I think it puts a lot of damper on where people might try otherwise to, to you know, maybe be derivative, but come up with something better. We've seen a lot of movies where, uh, well, Night of the, or uh, not the, uh, sorry, the, um, the uh, blog, blob movie um at the end of that episode i think we said we should probably just dub over this movie with good dialogue and it would be a great <laughs> horror movie <laughs> but that kind of thing obviously you can't do that with movies that are under copyright but there are probably hundreds of movies that would be I, in fact i can tell you hands down 100 there are hundreds if not thousands of movies that could be so much better than they are but because they're under these copyright rules no you nobody can take the idea and change it and make it a better story you have to be so careful not to even seem to be too derivative of something that already exists and it 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 squashes the imagination somewhat like at least we've got i suppose you guys are going to laugh at least we've got the genre of fan fiction Without fan fiction, <laughs> so many people wouldn't get to explore these ideas that, frankly, these movies spark great, fun, interesting ideas, and a lot of them just don't take it to the level that they could. And that's true both of movies that are in copyright and out of copyright. So, man, we should be, we should, it would be nice if our culture, specifically if our country's culture allowed us to take somebody else's good idea. And instead of copywriting it and protecting it and suing somebody for taking that idea to the next step, applauding that. And especially think about how many, oh, I'm getting way out here on the philosophy. Think about how many medications and inventions and technologies, if we didn't have such tight copyright control, 
could be taken to another level, but can't because they're so tightly controlled and owned. That is probably not the direction you were thinking, Barry, <laughs> but that's where my brain went. <laughs> no, no, I, I appreciate what you're what you're saying about that. I mean, the, the, the example that always jumps to mind, uh, it comes up a lot because I talk to my class about cult films. And the idea of cult films is it's very broad, but I've always been very persnickety about it. A cult film is a movie that did not find its audience initially and found it later. For me, that's the rule of cult films. You can't create an instant cult film. You can't create an ulti- you know, an instant cult phenomenon. It does not happen. That's not how it works. And the example I love to give because it, it applies to what we're talking about is It's a Wonderful Life. People forget. I mean, that's one of the ultimate public domain movies because yeah. for that for decades and decades and decades, that movie flopped when it came out. Uh, it was World War II. People really were not in the mood for it. The reviews were horrendous. It got a few awards here and there, but like It's a Wonderful Life was not embraced when it came out. Decades and decades of it being played on television at odd hours in July, uh, you know, in the afternoon. There's a scene in Gremlins. There's a scene in Gremlins where Billy Peltzer's mom is watching It's a Wonderful Life on TV yes. at home in the afternoon. It's like, yep, that's reality. That was 80s television. They would show that mm-hmm. thing at odd hours. It wasn't just in December. And it wasn't until Ted Turner was like, hey, like, this is this is one of my favorite movies. It's one of everyone's favorite movies. He got the movie. He cleaned it up and, and even hideously colorized it. So it's like this <laughs> example of, you know, on the one hand, I, you know, like a lot of people, I hate that the movie in a sense is privatized because that's what happens when these movies, you know, the, the, you know, the entity gets it and they're like, you know, we have it or we own it or, and, you know, you have to buy it to get it or whatever. There is something special about the movie floating out there in public domain. It is because that's how you discover it. That's how cult followings happen. That's how something like It's a Wonderful Life found its audience how it flourished mm-hmm. same thing with the little shop of horrors another one that you covered on this on this show little shop of horrors was you know was, was not embraced as great art in 1960 but it, it's since considered one of the greatest roger corman movies certainly the greatest movie ever shot in a single day um and i'll, and I'll wrap up this tie try by saying you know the thing that that uh that you initially were talking about lydia and i really appreciate it is I was I mentioned Disney Plus because I'm annoyed that Adventures in Babysitting has been censored. There's all sorts of lines in that movie that are That's out. That's insane. Okay. I understand it because PG-13 in the 80s is not PG-13 today. Yeah, watch that movie. You'll watch. notice there's some lines about Thor, interestingly enough, that have been censored. Like, hmm, interesting. Of course, of course, they, they can't let Thor, you know, uh, uh, be be slandered in a, in a Disney film. Um, <laughs> but but all that to say, like, you know, I, I appreciate that, you know, because I was talking about Adventures in Babysitting. I, I love the you went straight to the, the granddaddy of all, which is, uh, you know, the, the, the eternally problematic song of the South. That movie uh, <laughs> turns 100 in 2045. Disney has to do something with it because either they're going to let that copyright expire and someone else is going to get it and be like, look, you can see the most scandalous unseen film of all time, or Disney's going to have to finally do something with it. You know, this yeah. is the year where they changed, uh, they changed the Splash Mountain ride. It is now the Princess and the Frog ride. Um, and I'm not, and, you know, and I, like like everyone here, I've seen the film many times. I'm very familiar with the movie. Um, I'm someone who, you know, and I've shown it to my students too many times. I've showed it to students, and I said, like, look at what works, look at what doesn't work, uh, look at what's grievously offensive, look at w- what what amazingly in this movie um, is of value. Consider mm-hmm. the fact that it is an Oscar winner, not only for best song, but James yes. Baskett, who was. Yes. You know, if you if you look at that, that's that's something no one ever brings up. He is really that's a victory for that movie. He's, Technically, the first African American actor to ever win an Academy Award. Absolutely, never talk about that. 
No. You know, the history books tell us it's Sidney Poitier. It's not true. It's, uh, James Bassett got it first because of all the characters he played in that movie, not just Uncle Remus. And no. I, I understand, you know, I get it. I understand the problem as we all do with that movie. There's yeah. lots of problems with it, but it's also a film uh, that Walt Disney wanted to make about interracial friendship. There's a scene in the film where the little boy, uh, his hand is held by an African-American hand and you mm-hmm. see a close-up of a, of a white hand and a black hand holding each other. Mm-hmm. Um, this is in 1945. I'm not saying that it excuses the movie. It's many sins. There's all sorts of stereotypes and cliches in the film. Um, but by the way, I mean, Disney made a movie in 2003 called Bringing Down the House, which I would say is so much worse, so much more offensive <laughs> than that one. Martin Queen Latifah. But that's the one where you put Steve Martin in the hood and put him in a do-rag and it's it's all good in the hood, I guess. Thank you, Queen Latifah. Uh, Disney has made all sorts of movies. I wish they they would, you know, lock away in a key forever. And Song of the South, it's not that way for me. I, I wish the film would be seen um, because it's not, you know, it's not Mickey Mouse in a, in a KKK outfit with a burning cross in the background. But I, that's oh, exactly that's the reputation the film has. And one of the reasons yeah. it has is that no one has seen it. They've seen the parodies. They've, you know, they've, you know, they've seen clips of it. Um, but that's not the same as seeing the entire film. Again, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm on the fence in terms of being an apologist for the film because I, yes, I've, I've seen the movie. I know that it's got hideous stereotypes. It is not portraying history in any real way. Surprise, surprise. It's a Disney film, but the fact that it is unavailable, um, it's not helping either side. It's like, it's, it's art. It may not always be great art, but there's no hierarchy to these things. I mean, for Pete's sake, you know, it's a wonderful life once flourished in obscurity for decades. So art should be seen good or bad. It should be seen and should be seen the way it was made as opposed to the way we want it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you're saying is exactly back to that point of taking out these parts of history doesn't serve anybody. This revisionist history that we're engaging so massively in our society right now, which it doesn't just erase the bad things. It erases the good things too. It erases the first, the first African-American Academy Award winner is completely just, just ignored. And that is, that's, that's, that's a worse kind of horrible to me to say, Hey, look, something that was made that people think is horribly offensive is also something that's beautiful. It's also something that had a huge triumph for that that very community that people love to tout that was hurt by this also experienced a massive triumph through it. And we, by just by deleting it, by erasing it, we lose that part too. You got me all emotional. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I, thank you. No, thank you for saying that. I mean, look, Birth of a Nation, right? Birth of a Nation is available. That's a three-hour film. The movie is basically a three-hour tribute to the KKK. That movie yeah. is hideous. It is ideologically poisonous and sick. Um, it's also essentially the movie that kind of gave us cinema. You know, we, yeah. we got, if you're going to look at the history of cinema, if you're going to look at, you know, what D.W. Griffith brought to cinema and how he advanced the form and made cinema a language and took all that was created, but also invented some new rules, that movie is a landmark. Um, it's also awful and it's available and it's good <laughs> that we're able and we're able to look at that movie and go like, okay, this is, this is how this movie is technically brilliant, but from, as a reflection of the person who made it, it's disgusting. And we should be able to deal with that. It's it's okay to be offended, but we shouldn't be hitting the eraser on everything that offends us because yes. what's what's left? I mean, are we going to erase Taxi Driver? Like, I mean, some movies, some movies, <laughs> some movies are intent are intentionally offensive, you know. But that's also yeah. 
that's another distinction too. Like, okay, do we hate the movie because it's misogynist or is it about misogyny? That's where the argument there are, Oh, there are modern movies I would love to see erased. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but yeah. that's my personal opinion. And most of them are torture porn. So, you know, <laughs> but there are people, I suppose, that find incredible value through the special effects in that. We mentioned, Christopher mentioned Dixiana um, and us, you know, and Christopher especially had a greater concern about Dixiana than I did when we watched Santa Fe Trail. I felt like there was some intense racial issues with that movie that um, that I felt like Dixiana had, you know, two minutes at the beginning and then it just moved past it. But Santa Fe Trail, I feel like had a lot more that went on through it. So we, you know, we do hold up certain movies as being, you know, we, we crucify them as being iconic of how horrible they are. But there are plenty of movies out there that are much worse, as you mentioned, Barry, or, you know, that that promote much, much more unequal or much worse uh, viewpoints than the ones that are most frequently held up as being the very worst. Totally side note, I was watching a you know, we just go through and watch a lot of different movies in the course of this. And I was watching a Fred Astaire movie and he came out and danced in blackface. Yeah. And it was right in that period of time a couple of years ago where that was such a big issue for, you know, a high school had a thing where, you know, where people aren't trying to be offensive. And it's it was just so interesting that nobody goes Fred Astaire was a horrible racist. Like you just don't hear people say that because it kind of gets swept under the rug. But then we grab other items that are no more offensive and then hold them up as these shining beacons of evil, which is horribly mixed metaphor. (laughs) But but there's, it's such a mixture. There's just such a mixture out there. And you have to have the context to really appreciate the message. And if we deleted every movie with any slightly negative, you know, viewpoint in it, then we'd have very few movies left. Not saying that, not saying that the movie you referenced was a slightly negative point. <laughs> just saying, you know, where where's the limit that we draw in what yeah. we decide to get rid of. Thank you. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, I mean, what would survive? The Sound of Music. It's about Nazis. Like, I mean, what what would what would what what totally. what survives? The Nazis the win. What's, <laughs> what's acceptable? Yeah, really. What happens to those von Trappers out out in the out in the mountains at the end of that movie? Come on. I know. No, I, they it, lose their house. Everything. Yeah. No. It's it's a it's a valid point. I mean, it's. I don't know. I, I'm not afraid of being offended. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of movies, there's movies that have offended me, but that's also been the point. Um, you know, and there's a long list of those. I'm not going to get into that, but there, there are films where they're trying to be provocative. They're trying to get at you, but what you're talking about is so fascinating too, because yeah, like holiday Inn is a big one. Everybody always runs across that every Christmas time. Yes. Holiday Inn, like, Oh, there's that gigantic blackface number in there. Um, yeah. Blackface has such such a you know a, a hideous lineage in this in this country in the twentieth. It's so mixed. It's, you know, it's so mixed, and we none of us today, none of us alive today, have a real grasp of the history of it and where it originally came from. And yeah, you can't. I don't think we are even equipped to have an intelligent conversation about it because we don't even know. We don't have a full grasp of the scope of it. We don't have a full grasp of the line, the lineage of it and where it originally came from and vaude, and before vaudeville, in vaudeville, before vaudeville, before film was even a thing. 
but we have this, you know, we just know it's a negative portrayal of a specific group of individuals in our country. And therefore it has to be shunned and it has to be raged against. And instead of being understood and seeing the way that it comes through history and saying, okay, yeah, no, this is not appropriate, but there is some history to it. I agree. I mean, not everything has to, you know, deserves that knee jerk reaction of either cancel or that's acceptable or everything, you know, um, I mean, I mean, you know, like right now, everyone's becoming really revisionist about Tropic Thunder, which is interesting because, which you know, when that movie came out, and that's an Oscar nominated performance. And yeah. by the way, the reason why we, you know, for those, those of us listening, watching this going like, yeah, what about that movie? Well, you know, in 2008, we got the joke. Everyone got the joke. He wasn't, yes. he wasn't wearing blackface because he thought he was a black person. No, he is an idiot actor. Who thought that this is what he had to do to become the part? He was an idiot. It was making fun of actors, some of which would say, like, yeah, that's kind of Robert Downey Jr. making fun of the kind of actor that he actually was at a point in his career. Going over the top. Yes. We got it. Going too far. And we really did in 2008. And just to look at it blankly, you go, okay. And then Ed Harris did a movie. uh, It was the Bob Dylan film in 2003. It was called Masked and Anonymous. And there's a scene in the movie where he's wearing blackface and it's never referenced. So you don't even know why he's wearing blackface. And I thought, Mm -hmm. wow, that's that's really bold. But it is a reflection of the fact that he's playing a he's playing an actor who at a point in a point in time, it was expected to wear blackface. Yes. Like, you know, I I agree with you. Like blackface is one of these things that I mean, I I immediately go, oh, my God, that's hideous. Whenever I that's always my new jerk reaction to it. Two things. Spike Lee's Bamboozled is one of the best films about blackface. The use of it, the history of it. It's brilliant. Everyone needs to see that movie. It's one of Spike Lee's greatest films. It's a masterpiece. And two, I agree with you. I mean, like. Again, it's like there's no nuance to these conversations. It's like either, yes. either you know, burn them at the stake or this gets a pass. And no, like there's art. Art is nuance. You know, it's art is yeah. not just one person in front of a camera. There's there's hundreds of people involved. We watch the movies with end credits. There's hundreds of people, even the bad ones. Mm-hmm. And everybody ha- has a, has a say in this. Everyone is a part of this. Um, you know, thought went into these things. Mm-hmm. So rather than hopefully. You know, <laughs> Yeah. Hopefully not. <laughs> I want to hear from Christopher. Christopher's listening so patiently. Yeah, please, Christopher, <laughs> chime in. Long story short, public domain is good. <laughs> <laughs> Succinctly put, sir. There, you know, we're we are spending a lot of time on the things that are culturally difficult, but we watched a ton of wonderful funny movies, Meet John Doe, um, The Scarlet Pimpernel, Cyrano de Bergerac from 1950, which just, oh, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. Yeah, the Iron just, Mask, oh. the silent uh, man on the Iron Mask that we just recently watched with uh, Douglas yes. Fairbanks just Safety blew last. me away. Yeah, Safety Last, hilarious silent film, hilarious yeah, Safety Last is a great example of where films are finally starting to fall into public domain officially through age again. Yeah. And Safety Last was with uh, was one of the first ones, and so we jumped on that immediately yes. and did our uh, did a, a commentary on it since it was a silent film, and uh, mm-hmm. that is such a fun and amazing film. Oh, the amount of is. the amount of work and time and effort that went into that film is just it's astonishing and it is so much fun the whole family sat down and watched it and all three of us were were laughing at it and that that says something for a film that's what nearly a hundred years old oh yeah definitely one of the greatest ever made it is yes it's amazing that that's under public domain what a wonderful way for more people to see a film that maybe maybe they never would see 
Exactly. Yes, finally. Yeah, had that been sitting around and someone had hung on to a copyright on it or something and uh, thinking that they were going to, I don't know, sell the rights somehow or Mm -hmm. be able to produce, it's not going to happen. You know, unfortunately, a theater isn't going to pay somebody to show safety last. No. Um, A distributor is not going to pay someone to make Blu-rays or something of safety last. You let it go to public domain, a theater is going to show that. They're going to have a big night. They're going to like, oh, yeah, let's let's have, you know, 1920s night and have everyone come in Mm -hmm. costume and we'll have popcorn and, you know, and we'll show safety last. Um, That's what the kind of stuff that we we could be seeing and we could be having more in society versus these people that uh, there's a whole ton ton of um, really great uh, AIP films that the copyright is kind of just hung on, not available legitimately anyway because the you know the, the widows of the original filmmakers are uh sitting on the rights to these films and we're like th- these are like classic 650s 60s horror films and mm-hmm. and teen films where are they well they're in somebody's closet because yeah. they won't let go of the stupid things. It's like, yes. you're never going to get money for this. No one's going to pay you. <laughs> you're not going to be able to retire by, by hanging on to these films. Just let them go so we can mm-hmm. enjoy them. There, there are so many that it would, it would be nice to see people uh, stop hoarding. Because <laughs> that's what it is. It's, it's copyright hoarding. Uh, let's just call it what it is. Um, in you know, in the in the interim, again, like there's so many movies out there that it. I think, you know, we're we're only doing a little tiny bit to make people aware of these, and you know, we don't have a huge listener base. That's okay. We appreciate every person that listens, and we hope you guys get as much enjoyment out of it as we do. But the more people that are exposed to these movies, and the more people, oh, love affair, gosh, oh. Oh my gosh, Charles, Charles Boyer. Boyer. Oh, oh. my favorite actors now. <laughs> you know, there are my man Godfrey. Oh, there are movies out there that are available right now. And a thing that that might help more movies become available and some of that copyright hoarding come to an end is just for people to become exposed to these ones that are available now and to to really promote those, even if it maybe it maybe that would be the opposite of what would be really helpful. Maybe it would you know spark more interest in these films that are going out of copyright and cause them to go back under copyright. But I think the only way that you you know get people to share what they've got hidden away in their closets is by the demand for it, the demand for older films and going back and looking through and finding just so many of these hilarious, clever, the dialogue. We don't get dialogue anymore. We have scripts, but we don't usually get good dialogue. There are very few movies out there that just the quips just click right along. I'm I'm making blanket statements. I shouldn't do that. But I, I feel like there are fewer and fewer of that type of really clever interact. Some of the early Hitchcock films where you have um, the back and forth, you know, quips from the the main characters. I'm thinking of 39 Steps and Secret Agent that we covered. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, gosh, I think the only way the only way that that kind of quality comes back is by people being exposed to it. 
Well, one of the things that I've enjoyed most about going back and seeing some of these films from the you know the 1930s, 40s is seeing what we now consider the sort of like Hollywood tropes. And we see them kind of birth for the first time in these films uh, or or things that you think you, you hear people you read a review about a new film. And it's talking about how clever or how inventive something, some story element is in this film. And I'm like, well, that sounds a whole lot about this movie that we just watched. That was in 1937. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there, there is nothing new under the sun. You know, uh, you, you didn't invent the twist. You didn't invent the, uh, the clever uh, love triangle or anything. This was all done in the 1930s. Yeah. And to go back and see these early, early, early especially when you get into like the pre-code stuff when they're allowed to be a little bit more a little bit more natural on i was going to say risque but i was <laughs> but i think it's actually a little bit more realistic and mm-hmm. uh, you know in the pre-code films uh in the early 30s uh where sometimes the bad guy does win and sometimes the good guys aren't really good you know, you're allowed mm-hmm. to have the anti-hero and stuff like and that. that John Wayne movie we watched that was so much fun where it was an early, early John Wayne and it started off and he was wearing all black. And I was in shock seeing John Wayne wearing all black. Sagebrush trail. Sagebrush trail. And then as the movie goes along, then he starts wearing like grays. And then at the end comes out in that iconic John Wayne white clothing, you know, that, that you know, just in that era in that early Western black and white era to see John Wayne come out, obviously dressed as the bad guy. It was just a shock to my system, but it's, but we, we still do that today. There still are some of the greatest directors are applauded for using color, which, you know, is it, it was tonal then it was gradient, but they're still using color to signify the movement of a character through the story arc. Mm-hmm. And that was something you can see in Sagebrush Trail in a black and white movie of all the ironies. I, I love when you look at some of the, uh, not just the, the scripts, but the actual filmmaking itself uh, with the, the, the setting up some of the shots. There's so many films that are very static. It's it's like a stage play. And a lot of that is just because that camera weighs a ton and you can't (laughs) move it. You can't move it on the uh, on the on the set because it makes a ton of noise. But still, some uh, directors and some cinematographers managed to get around it and they were able to create some really incredible, (laughs) incredible, some really incredible and creative uh, shots and do some amazing camera work. I remember the front page from 1931, which I believe, I don't know if you remember, uh, all takes place. Most of it takes place like in a, in a press room in a newspaper yeah. or something. And there's like, there's moments where like the camera is like centered on a table or you feel like it's centered on a table and you're going around and everyone's kind of like doing this weird song or something and going and rising and falling. And <laughs> it's just, you're thinking this is done with a camera that weighs as much as a car <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. and they're still able to kind of do this and it makes it work. And it, and again, you were talking about the dialogue. There was one of those things where the, you know, there's a dozen people in the room and half of them are talking all at the same time and people are talking over each other and people, and, and you're, they're still having conversations back and forth and you're, you're, you're zipping back and forth. And it's, it's just amazing. And it's like, this is, this is real life. They they were actually filming real life. This wasn't so much fantasy. This was like <laughs> these films are taking snapshots. 
Mm-hmm. That's 1931. That's a happen. film that without the front page, we wouldn't have broadcast news. We wouldn't have Morning Glory. I mean, there's so many films that owe their pacing and their style. His Girl Friday. There's so many movies that, you know, that, yeah. that the front page has inspired by. I, I love the front page. That was something I studied uh, as, a, as a theater major because um, it's a great play and it was, you know, originated as a play. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly as a film and the subsequent film versions, I mean, it's one of the definitive movies about the newsroom etiquette and, and, you know, uh, uh, you know, and falling in love in the newsroom, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. And, and even as you go back to that 1931 version, the quality is still there, the patter, the, the, uh, yeah, it, 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 it is amazing, isn't it? How, so for all the things that these movies have that make them antiquated and dusty, um, they're, in many cases, they're doing it better than a lot of their subsequent versions ever did. Because they had to. They had to to maintain the interest. They had to be more creative. They didn't have, oh gosh, they didn't have the the just vomitous overflow of CG that we have now. <laughs> they used a gel to get the blob to show up because they, they had to be creative. They mm-hmm. had to find a creative way to not show you something, but to make you understand that it was happening where they had to find a creative way to not show you everything that was happening, but still let you know it was happening, which we fail at daily in film today. Because if you, if something's happening in the movie, you're going to see it on screen, but they had to be more creative to be able to get that idea across. And it's a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a tragedy that we have the excess of tools at our disposal that we have today in the filmmaking industry, we, that royal we, (laughs) that that those are available because it does take away a lot of the necessity for creativity. And so we see a lot of the same rehashed film, the same, not only tropes, but techniques over and over without trying things because the easy way to do it is the way that it's being done. And, uh, and we've, I think we've lost a little bit of that creativity because we have so much available to us that we don't stop and think if there's another option. Yeah. I mean, speaking of which, I mean, one of my favorite movies we discussed on this podcast, which is Carnival of Souls. That's one of my top 10 all time favorites. And I'm actually going to teach a class on that movie and Night of the Living Dead this coming day. Oh, my heart, you know, there's, you know, two legendary public domain films that people have discovered because they were shown on TV all the time and because they were just readily available for people who are who are willing to, you know, see those freak shows. But yeah, Carnival <laughs> of Souls. I mean, this is a movie that has nothing. <laughs> it has no budget. Yeah. It's 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 a first it's a one and done for everyone involved. And for me, it's just magic. I love that film. Um, oh, one of the most disturbing movies I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. It's right up there with Saw, but you know, at least. <laughs> but I mean that with affection toward Carnival of Souls, by the way. Sure. And it's not to say that these people didn't manage to incorporate special effects. That's another thing that always surprises me when occasionally there's digit, they're not digital trickery, but there's camera trickery. Yeah. I can't remember what film we watched, but I, I it blew me away when this happened. It it had some comedy troupe in it, but there was a moment where everyone's on stage and behind them is just a backdrop of like stairs. And one of the guys gets scared and turns and runs up this backdrop oh. and gets smaller and disappears. And I'm like, what the heck? This is 1930s. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could remember which, which of the films we watched had this happen in it. And I just, I was like, I don't, that's incredible. How did they do that? <laughs> that was fantastic. 
And they did though. They managed to, you know, we, we regularly talk in the, in the podcast about things that we see happen on the screen and go, I didn't know they could do that then. I had no idea they could make that happen back then. It's so fun to see them. Yeah. I, I, it just kills me that I can't remember at some point I'll re I'll go across and I'll, I will find, maybe I can need to go back and just re-listen to all the episodes. Cause I know I, <laughs> I had to have talked about that when we, uh, when we saw it in the film. Right. <laughs> hours and hours of where's that staircase scene? Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We are at, yeah, as you said, this is 10 years. So there are, this is the episode 120. Um, not, not counting some of the extra ones. I think that it was the frozen limits. It was the frozen limits, Lydia. Wasn't the frozen limits. Well, sir, (laughs) I actually was just looking at that one going, I don't remember that at all, but there, there's so many that we've seen. There's one on here. Uh, Christopher was kind enough to put together a a cohesive list of all of them, by the way, just as a side note, anybody that's listening, if you go into most podcast apps and look up orphan entertainment, you only get the last hundred episodes or so be aware that if you go to our website, there are the first 20 or whatever that you can't get right now. If you're on Podbean or whatever podcast that you're listening to, uh, they may not provide more than the most recent hundred. So just know that there's some episodes or less. That you can still listen to. Yeah. Yeah. Or less. Mm-hmm. So, but they're definitely, all of them are still available. So if, even if you didn't catch us right at you know, the beginning, 10 years ago, if you were like, you know, 17 then and weren't interested in film history <laughs> there, you can still get a hold of those at orphanedentertainment.com. Um, and that kind of, I just wanted to note that because I had been going back looking to re-listen to some of these and couldn't find them until I actually went to our website, ironically. But I, I, I totally derailed myself there. I just wanted to make that side note though. Hey, these other episodes that we're talking about, even if you don't see them on your podcast uh, device of choice, it, they are still available. You can still get them. Yep, absolutely. Now, I I have to admit that you know some of our older episodes are a bit rough. <laughs> so. They are, it, you know, production quality, especially. And as I mentioned, one thing that I really noticed was with the lack of essentially eye eye contact <laughs> right now, you know, we can see each other pretty much instantaneously. And we didn't have that early on. We weren't using video to be able to carry on these conversations. So there's a lot less talking over each other in this uh, recording than there was early on. And I hopefully am a little bit less of an idiot child than I was when we were <laughs> starting. <laughs> hopefully, a little, uh, a little less uh, irritating to myself, anyway. But um, and you know, we've had ten years to see a whole bunch more films and and get to dig into things that we didn't know existed back then. So hopefully, the conversations are a little bit better now than they were when we first started out. Although we do miss having Barry with us. Barry, you're phenomenal. Uh, speaker on that. I still, I early on, you know, I said it, you guys make me feel like an idiot child, just with the vast knowledge that you have. And now Barry, you do it professionally. So I suppose I should give myself a pass where that's concerned. No, thank but, you so much, Lydia. That's very sweet. Thank you. And, you know, I, I, I definitely miss hanging out with, with the three, with the three of us. It was always a fun dynamic when we'd see it till that star fest every year at denver that was always the way to catch up and Which has ended. whatever whatever oh. uh you know nerdvana that we'd experienced that year 
Um, <laughs> no, and, and, and that's a weird thing too, because that's another Carnival of Souls connection. Do you remember this, Christopher, where we mm-hmm. did a panel on Carnival of Souls? That's one of my favorite things that I ever did at Starfest. Was uh, um, you were supposed to do a panel with? It was a guy from from the University of Kansas who I never who I never got the chance to meet, but he no, found he, out. he ended up uh, I think health some some health issue or something or some uh, yeah something in the death in the family or he he got the flu or something yeah and he couldn't make it yeah so you you pulled me into that and you 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 and I tag teams this this panel at Starfest in Denver and I think I don't know maybe had maybe nine people show up to the screening and the Q and A but they dug it. They were into it. We had a great conversation with them. I'm like, this is one of the most fun things I've ever done. We got to yeah, do they, it together. They stuck us. Later, they they yeah. stuck us on a like first thing Sunday morning on the horror wing <laughs> of uh, Starfest. <laughs> yeah, so it's like we're not getting a big turnout here. <laughs> but we had like nine people, and it was great. And you know, I got to do it with you. We got to talk about this movie I love so much. And then and then uh, sometime later, we got to do it on your podcast. Like, oh, it's so cool that. We'll always have Carnival of Souls. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you said earlier, Christopher, that we this podcast couldn't have existed at a different time, even to the point that, you know, Barry, you're in Hawaii. I'm in Missouri and uh, Christopher's in Ohio. And, you know, a decade ago, we couldn't have done, or a decade ago, we did start doing this. But, you know, 20 years ago, we couldn't have done this. Certainly when I was a kid, this wasn't, this media wasn't available. It'll be amazing to see in the next, you know, over the next 10 years of this podcast, what new technologies <laughs> evolve that allow us to dig in even more in, and to the decade of movies that are going to come into public domain while we're doing that. It's going to be a yes. lot of fun. No, absolutely. We'll, we'll be the, the orphan entertainment hollow gram or something hologram <laughs> how much Join more jetsons is we going to get yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll all have voice moderators and oh good north good good north we'll all just say good north instead of good night oh good north <laughs> and if this show is still going on in 2045 hey i, I call it let's let's do song of the south let's do it It'll oh absolutely the song of the south so. hits public <laughs> the domain first one. <laughs> oh man well, wow. I mentioned early on that we do have a YouTube channel where a lot of the films we've, we've talked about today and uh, many, many other films are available to us. I just wanted to bring mention this. And also, if, if anyone from who, who has found us from the YouTube channel and then has just decided to come and listen to us, I know there are a couple, there, the few that I've, I've heard that the videos led them to the podcast. And so if they're listening, thank you very much. That YouTube channel has blown up way beyond what I could have expected. So there is interest in these films. We have had mm-hmm. over 900,000 views. Wow. At that yeah. YouTube channel. Wow. Uh, there are currently, as of today, almost 4,000 subscribers to the channel. Wow. It's like 3,614 subscribers. Oh my gosh, we're influencers. <laughs> <laughs> genuinely just occurred to me that's very funny no genuinely that's not we're not in it trying to influence people at all rather just to expose people to gosh this vast collection this growing collection of work that you don't nobody like you said earlier Christopher nobody's going to put these on you know on a movie screen most most channels are never going to play these 
And they're, frankly, they're kind of hard to find. You have to know what movie you're looking for. If you go on to Prime or you go on to, you know, your streaming method of choice, you have to know what movie you're looking for to find these. There's not a, there's not a selection or a column for out of copyright films. Mm -hmm. It would be so great if there was, wouldn't that be so nice? We could so easily find our next film that we're going to cover, but (laughs) It's it's hard to find even like just even mainstream movies from the 1930s. You kind of have to go in by actor or you have to go in by director and look for those specific collections. There's not just a, a big repository of these where you can easily find them. And so, I mean, we're we're not filling that niche by any means, but I love that people are finding us and and sticking around and watching more of the films that we're putting up. Yeah, well, it's just I mean just looking at those numbers it just goes to show that there there is an interest in these old films thankfully and so uh, i i'm glad that in some small way we can bring them a little closer to some people and like lydia you said earlier uh maybe maybe it's a film that they weren't aware of we've seen many uh early early uh appearances of actors that we know very well we saw michael douglas's first feature film <laughs> And yeah. the many loves of Martha Ivers. Uh, oh, yeah. And that was his first uh, feature film debut. And this is Michael Douglas. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, the one with the, um, the Hot Rodders, and it was the first film for, it wasn't called The Hot Rodders, guys. Don't go looking at The Hot Riders. The, the Wild Ride. The Wild Ride, Jack Nicholson film. It was right? one of Jack Nicholson's first films, if not yeah. his first. Well, we've seen a, a few of Jack Nicholson early roles. Uh, oh, what's the one? Um, oh, I just had it. It was one of our early films. It's got Boris Karloff and um, Terror. The Terror. That yes, was a, a Jack that Nicholson. Now. Very young Jack mm-hmm. Nicholson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, well, he makes appearance in, in the Little Shop of Horrors. He's a kind of a cameo. <laughs> That's such a fun film. That that was actually another film that until we covered it here on the show, I never watched. I had not oh, watched wow. until no we covered kidding. it for the show. I wow. knew about it. I knew about it. I just never got around to watching it. Mm-hmm. So glad I did. That's definitely one of my favorites that we've covered. That's a big one for me. Um, the Little Shop of Horrors in general is just really a big deal for me. My father took me to see it off-Broadway at the Orpheum Theater in New York in 1985. Wow. And then we came home. <laughs> a couple of days later, he throws on the Corman film. He had a video cassette of it. And then Christmas of 86, the, you know, the Rick Moranis big budget version came out. And then of all things, in 2000 and what year was it? It was 1990. Actually, it was 1996. Uh, a traveling version of it came to Maui where I was going to high school. And the traveling version had some of the original members from the Orpheum 1985 production that I wow. saw. Nice. The first actor, Ron Taylor. Who I, don't, I don't think he's with us anymore. But Ron Taylor was the first actor to ever do Audrey 2 as a, as a, on voice doing the stage. It was Levi Stubbs in the movie. But anyway, yeah, that movie, is it's a big deal for me. As a kid, I used to watch it all the time. Um, it's so, I mean, you know, it, it, it's really little more than, than a hand puppet and, and a set that was reused for another, uh, Roger Corman movie, Bucket of Blood and Dick Miller's in both of them. Um, uh, but I adore that film and Nicholson is electric in that movie. It's weird. It's his first, it's, I think that's, I think it's technically his first movie though. It might be the wild. I think ride. so. But yeah, this was, you know, his Roger Corman days back when, you know, his age, even his agents like, look, you're not handsome enough. You're not talented enough. You're not going to be a big deal. Jack Nicholson, because it's not going to happen. 
yeah, you know, and you, and you see him in these Corbin movies, and yeah, you know, in some cases, like, okay, the roles stink, the dialogue stinks, but he's, he, he was a, you know, he's a journeyman. He was a workmanlike actor who learned the tools of the trade. He got his start in a little shop and all these Corman movies, went to the Roger Corman school of acting, like so many filmmakers and, and actors did. And, and now he's one of the greatest ever. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yes. It's and been so, so much fun to find those. Yeah. Yeah. I'll watch anything with Dick Miller, even if he's just a cameo. I just, you know, <laughs> love that guy when he pops up and it's so great seeing him in these films from back in the fifties and sixties bucket of blood. Like you were saying before is the just oh, he's so astonishing. Yes. I don't know if that one's considered public domain. It was, I don't know if it is anymore, but it was at one point. Yeah. Some of these have um, much like what, since you you mentioned Ted Turner talking about um, uh, it's a wonderful life. Yeah. You were much kinder to that story. Uh, I, I pretty much, I see it as Ted Turner went, Hey, there's money to be made here. And that's why he went and he used something he went and bought the right to the original story and then said that he now had the rights to the film because it was derivative of the, of the story or oh. something that he, uh, and that's how he uh, obtained the right to It's a Wonderful Life. I think that's a little dirty pool is what I think that was. <laughs> but, you know, honestly, I think it's one of those films of it wouldn't be as big a deal as it is, like Barry was saying, if it hadn't been in public domain. I've watched yes. the film. I don't like the film. Neither I do don't I. think it's a good film. It, I think it's terrible, but oh, I grew up with it. So and that, I guess that's the next <laughs> question. Did you grow up with it or not? Cause it's no. like one of my mom's favorite movies of all time. And every Christmas would roll it out. Now granted Jimmy Stewart, James Stewart is also one of her favorite actors. And so not terribly surprising, but they're, you know, let's not get into it. It's not a, it's not a, well, no, it is public domain. I suppose. <laughs> Is it public? It's not public domain. I don't know if it is or not. The point being, um, I think, you know, it, it's easier to love something that you've grown up with. Barry, you just pers- perfectly personified that. Little Shop of Horrors, I didn't have any exposure to at all. Um, I had seen the Rick Moranis version mm-hmm. at some point, you know, and, and so it for me, it was my, you know, I'm going to bring it up. You guys are waiting for it. Lydia has to say something about it. It was my first doctor. <laughs> it was my doctor who version. You know, they say your first doctor is your doctor and doctor who well, it was my first little shop of horrors was the Rick Moranis one. And so it's, you know, the, the music in it. I was shocked when we watched the 1960s one and there were no songs. Mm. I thought this is, am, wait, what? <laughs> but then go back to you know love affair versus an affair to remember yeah. and there are a lot of similarities but enough differences to make them and make it easy to pick one as a favorite and i think it's the same thing here where even uh, where it, it's it whether you came into it young may determine how much you love it well, hopefully some people will come into some of these films that we have available on our YouTube channel, Young, and they will, oh, <laughs> they will love it. You'll be happy to know that the David Niven film uh, is the most watched. The, the <laughs> Matter of Life and Death is the most watched film on our YouTube channel. Wow. Oh, he's the most watched face I <laughs> on my channel. No, that is interesting. It's it's such a great movie, though. I mean, it really is. There, there, there's so many great movies. I'm just scrolling through our list of movies. Yeah. Strangely you know, enough, the second most watched is Mama Dracula. <laughs> well. <laughs> 
<laughs> I wonder, I would love to know how that worked out. I'd love to know how that happened. <laughs> I don't know. But the difference between the two is over 100,000 views. So there oh, is wow. a vast difference between the two. <laughs> how Amazing. interesting. I would I love like to know Dracula why. Completus, who just like, the guy, I got to see every Dracula movie. That's the one I've never heard of. Yeah, I think that, that must be it. Yeah, <laughs> no, for definitely, I'll go through and watch every vampire movie I can find, or I'll watch every zombie movie I can find. I've seen all of the of the deads, you know, day, dawn, night, sure, you know, all of them. Because once you get going on that, you know, and then you've got to watch all the twenty eight days, twenty eight weeks, et cetera, et cetera, you get on that theme. But I don't think I don't know that that would account for. <laughs> that would account for the popularity of Mama Dracula. I feel like there aren't enough completionists out there for that. The least watched is actually the Sagebrush Trail. Well, we did really <laughs> rag on it. Yes. <laughs> we tore it up pretty good. So that uh, viewing count is based at all on, you know, our recommendation. That would that would explain a lot. <laughs> you yep. do see, interestingly, you see a real spike for the ones that we really liked, I think. Uh, or it, maybe I'm just being vain, but love affair has a pretty good. I, I mean, you know, or maybe that just is proof that the people that are listening to us are then going and watching the movies on our channel, which is great. If you guys are doing that, that's awesome. It just just do pay attention. Yeah, oh, six thousand views for There Goes the Bride, which we just loved. We thought was hilarious. Mm -hmm. uh, but do pay attention if you're listening to the podcast and we say stop the podcast and go watch the movie now. Do definitely do that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, we should probably wrap this up. This has been, it, this definitely has taken me back to the early days of Orphan Entertainment because we have had a, a, a host of technical issues with this episode. It, oh. <laughs> it felt like it was an episode that was trying very hard not to be, but yeah. I think we got through it eventually. <laughs> Yay. Barry, thank you so much for coming and, and, and talking with us and, and remembering kind of the early days of Orphan Entertainment. And uh, there, yeah, Lydia and I, we both miss you. There are films that yeah. we've watched and I, I've, I've said as much on the podcast. I wish Barry were here to talk yeah. about things. <laughs> yes. I, I think oh. the last, last one I remember I, the, the, the sins of Mora Naran or something like that. The love, oh, not the loves of Martha Ivers. The sins. Of, I think you're right. The sins of Nora Moran. <laughs> That was one where I thought, oh, I would love to know what Barry thought of this film. Mm -hmm. And as far as I know, Barry has not seen this one. No, I need to see that one. Thank you. I'll oh, check that one out. Man. Yeah. The Sin but of Nora Moran. That's the one. Yeah. There you go. I think we could have a special episode or something like that. <laughs> we'll just I send have to ask, though, before we wrap, there's one question I have. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to ask it. Sure. On a scale of one to five ozals. How many Othels would you give Orphan Entertainment? <laughs> <laughs> I'm biased. I'm biased. And I have always been very proud of this little show. So I would absolutely give it five Othels. Oh, and I, and yeah, Lydia, you are five Othels with a twist or something. I, I could not do this without you. You have been and five very twisted Othels. <laughs> you, you have been just the stalwart companion through this thing. And I've had so much fun coming on the show and talking. That's one of the highlights, no matter whether the film's good or bad or, or so, so I know that once a month I get to come on here and talk with you about this movie. And that just, that, that makes it worth it for me. 
Oh gosh. Yeah. As fun as watching the movies are getting to talk with them about you guys has been definitely the highlight. And especially in recent years when we haven't been able to get together in person, that's just made it bearable. Mm -hmm. So um, hopefully we'll do uh, many, many more of these and hopefully many, many more with Barry than he's been able to do recently. He's just shaking his head emphatically. I'm kidding. He's Uh not. No, I'd but like to come be- back. You know, I got to say, as the Dorothy Lamar to your Bing and Bob, it's always been fun. I always uh, enjoy these. And uh, <laughs> I tell you, I, I certainly want to thank all of our uh, listeners. My gosh. Yeah. I mean, these are listeners who prefer David Niven over John Wayne. You're my people. That's, <laughs> thank you. That's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, we will definitely have to have you back on, uh, Barry, and I Please. will make sure to uh, actually have the time right, the time difference. I don't know where I looked <laughs> when I first set this up, but it was obviously okay. wrong. <laughs> I hope I wasn't blowing your phone up and waking you up in the middle of the morning. Oh, no, no, not at all. No, I'm glad I checked my phone. No, you know, the time change, you know, the 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 uh, the four-hour, three-hour difference, it, it fluctuates. It's it's incredibly irritating. I'm in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It's There's always going to be issues, so... <laughs> I think yeah. the only I think the best thing to do is Lydia and I will just have to come and stay at your house for a week oh, yes. and we'll watch a few films. Clearly. Yeah. yeah. I, I can say hand on my heart, having been in Hawaii within the last two months and not I'm sadly not getting to see Barry. And that was, believe me, we really thought about taking a little island hopper across and seeing you. It was just down to the wire. But I can honestly say that of everywhere that we could all get together. Your house is definitely my number one choice. <laughs> <laughs> Please, let's do it by all means. Yeah, well, I'm glad. I'm glad you got. To, I'm glad you, the vacation happened. I'm glad you got to go. I'm sorry. We, likewise, I'm sorry we didn't get to see each other. But I'm, I'm yeah, glad. You time. I'm sure you had a great time, right? Oh, oh gosh, yeah. Anybody listening, if you're considering whether or not to go to Hawaii, why are you considering? <laughs> <laughs> not a place I thought I'd ever want to go. But oh man. That's my second trip, and I sincerely hope to get to add Maui to my list of islands. Please, yeah, I'd love to have you. That'd be fun. Yeah, you're all, all right, invited. Well, yeah, the two excellent. of you. I'm not, not the list. Oh, oh, okay. I was gonna say everybody, everybody listening, you're all <laughs> invited. Everyone <laughs> else, stay away. Let's you two are invited. If you're listening to the podcast and you would like to have an orphaned entertainment convention where we all get together on Barry's Island, which is Maui, on Barry's a Island, comment oh, on the Facebook page. <laughs> Uh, comments on the Facebook page and we'll see about scheduling. I can tell you right now, we won't all be able to stay at Barry's house. That would be a. Uh, no, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure. I'm sure he's limited on the amount of couch space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For starters. Yes. Yes. Well, before we go, I mean, Lydia pretty much you, you have orphan entertainment here with me, but Barry, yeah, you mentioned it earlier. You do another podcast. Um, you do a so I married a film critic, a fun show. I have a good time listening to that every time it pops Thank up you. in the feed. Is there a, a place that people can go and uh, and find your episodes? Thank you for asking. Yeah, Apple and Spotify. Yeah, so I married a film critic. We just did an episode on The Lost City, which is a dreadful film with Sandra Bullock oh, and Channing Tatum. Just Unfortunately, just a few minutes of Brad Pitt. Just a few, not enough. And then I the think our next episode is going to be on the Goonies. <laughs> so yeah, that's coming up. Oh, have a fun! We oh we the giant squid. <laughs> Re-listening to the the road to Bali uh, episode, I mentioned in that episode about the giant squid that pops oh. up both in Reef the Wild Wind and in that lost um, clip from Goonies. So, oh, 
I hope you I hope you get a chance to mention that on yours as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we actually did because I showed the scene to Julia after we watched the film. Like this is what used to be in here. We watched that scene where this where the octopus yes. actually eats the eats the the Sony Walkman. It's it's yes. it's embarrassing, but it's, it's ridiculous. But you know what? It, it belonged in the movie. It should have been in there. It's it's not more <laughs> ridiculous than anything else in the Goonies. Well, yeah, thanks. Good synergy there. That's wow. Full circle. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, everyone should go. Uh, when you're done listening to Orphan Entertainment, go check out So I Married a Film Critic. It, it is a good time. It would definitely be a lot more modern films and a lot in many cases, but oh, some yeah. older ones film. Uh, you, you dive into some some stuff from the 70s and 80s, 90s, that sort of stuff. Just uh, seems like whatever kind of piques your interest. Uh, but it's yeah, always a good you time. So much. You, yeah. you and your wife have a great time and a great chemistry, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. So that is going to do it for this, our 10th year anniversary special episode. Uh, We went up and down and all around on this. It has been a ball. (laughs) Thank you guys for joining me. Thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. And here's to, I don't see why we couldn't do it for another 10 years. There's still so many films out there and Lydia and I still have a ball talking about them. And yes, we'll we'll drag Barry back in when we just need a little bit of a change of pace. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and hey, new new films coming into the uh, into the out of the copyright open. I've lost my vocabulary. Yeah, it's that time, guys. Finally, in the episode, yeah, lots lost of lots of more silent films. So maybe some new commentaries are in order, and uh, we'll maybe get Barry in on a commentary. That would be that oh, would be, be something. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Gosh. I mean, now we got to start looking at things like, you know, how far we are out from the jazz singer and all that kind of stuff. Oh, man, the jazz singer. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's 1927. So it's so coming, it's coming up. It'll be yeah, coming up then. So, not yeah. too far. All right. Yep. So we're going to close this. I do this every episode where I rant and then say goodbye a dozen times. So, yes, thank you, everybody, for listening. So we'll be back in a month with a regular episode and a regular film. Um, you should be hearing, I don't even remember what we said we were going to cover, but it doesn't matter. It'll be fun. Lydia and I will have a great time. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye.